Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Mark 15 and the last time we saw that Jesus was falsely accused and the last time he had these three trials really they were religious trials they were from the different high priests the Sanhedrin the religious governing body and this is all stuff that you could find in the encyclopedia you know this is stuff that goes back thousands of years and you know Jesus came as the son of God and he the Bible predicted that he wouldn't be accepted by his own right and Jesus spoke to them on their terms he spoke to them about prophecy. He spoke to them about judgment. Spoke to them about the coming of the Messiah. Didn't matter. They still accused him. They still bound him, beat him. And then here we're going to find out that they send him to, to the world. Isn't that amazing? If you've been a Christian long enough, you'll find, and we follow in the Lord's footsteps. We, it's just natural. He said it. We'll be persecuted by sometimes the religious system, sadly enough, those that are supposed to have our back, Right? And then we also may be persecuted by the world. So you kind of get sandwiched into a double whammy, but you've got to stay strong in the Lord. You've got to be encouraged because the Lord wants to build us up. So Jesus goes to Pontius Pilate. And then Pontius Pilate, that fourth trial, sends Jesus to Herod. And then Herod was a worldly guy. He, he fancied himself as a Messiah, but sort of a political Messiah. But he wasn't prophesied about in Scripture. So Herod sends him back to Pilate. So we see this... this transition from the spiritual system to the worldly system. And we'll jump in and see what goes on here. Now, what I have to do here is because chronologically and only, well, Matthew records it. In Matthew 27, just read a few verses. I'm not going to go deep into it. In between all this, Judas realizes that he did something wrong. So, starting in Matthew 27, in verse 3, it says, Then Judas... His, the Lord's betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. Now, remember, this is religious men talking, okay? It, it's almost bizarre, right? But what have we seen throughout the ages in religion? Right? How has that precluded some people from being interested in the Lord because of the bad representation? And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, okay, his prophesied, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Judas had remorse, and he kills himself. You know, a lot of pastors, well, we, we kind of, sometimes we disagree on this, and honestly, it's okay, there's room for discussion in this, but Judas is interesting. He was remorseful, but not repentant. And, and you know, we can kind of be there at times where we, we feel bad about something, but we're not truly repentant. It doesn't lead to change. You just kind of feel bad about it. So, listen, Peter denied Jesus, 
and did a horrible thing, but he came back, repented, and was a pillar of the early church. Judas, he was an officer in the church, but so what? So was the BTK killer, Dennis Ratter. Seriously, he was the president of his church council. He's still in jail, by the way, for these heinous crimes. There's a lot of tares that are sown in with the weeds of the body of Christ. There's a parable that speaks about that. So Judas really was a picture of an officer um, of the church, but he had heavy ties to the world. He was completely double-minded in what he did. If we could turn to Matthew 12, 43 through 45... This is amazing. Jesus uses an actual description of, I guess what you could call sort of an exorcism, right? We know the Bible does say that demons can inhabit people. It's kind of scary. Jesus did a lot of casting out demons in his days, and then the disciples did it after him, the, the apostles, and we, have, we can do that today too in the name of Jesus Christ. But he likens it to his generation that hears and gets cleaned up by God but just goes back to their old ways. But check this out. Let me just go back to what he's saying specifically. He says in 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, doesn't say why, but he goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. For some reason, demons like to inhabit people. Then he says, I will return to my house, meaning the person from which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Wow, this place is clean. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man, the host, is worse than the first, so it shall be with this wicked generation. So he's telling a story and, and actual things that happen, right? Uh, people can be around other Christians. They can come to church. They can get cleaned up. The demon, he's just like, yeah, it, it's uncomfortable. I don't like the environment, and he leaves. And then later on, he can check and see, why is the place empty? The place would only be empty if the Holy Spirit is not in that person. Right? The Bible is very clear. 1 John 4, 4, he who's in us is greater than he who's in the world. A Christian cannot be possessed. So if that was your question this morning, I just answered it. However, this person gets cleaned up, and the demon comes back and doesn't want to lose ground again. He gets seven more nasty, wicked spirits. They re-inhabit the guy, and his last state, Jesus says, is worse than the first got to be careful. You know, I've known some that dabbled with kind of the Lord and then dabbled with the world and they ch kept changing their allegiances and what happens is it makes a person unstable. It makes a person unstable. Well, Judas committed suicide. He was remorseful. Um, you know, it, it can just... And I'm saying this, I'm not to be mean, I'm saying this as, as a warning. Jesus says this as a warning. Get saved, come to the cross, come and receive the Lord, stay there. <laughs> Please, <laughs> I hope this is, this is eye-opening. When we did a study of 1 Kings 4 through 5 this past Wednesday, I taught it. You know, here was Solomon who did a, a lot of dabbling. What happened to him when he died? I don't really know. But based on reading Ecclesiastes, I would say he probably was repentant. He was probably repentant, but he ruined his whole life because he allowed even the blessings of God. He dabbled so much in the world. He multiplied the wine, the women, the horses, Got, went completely away from the Lord and everything that he built in that matter of time was destroyed by the time, he, by the time after he died. It's very sad. Instability. You know, repentance leads to restoration, but remorse, just remorse, can lead to despondency and all other types of things. So we have to, I can't say that enough. You come to the Lord, stay with the Lord. Don't leave him. Verse 1 in chapter 15. It says, immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes, 
and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked them, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. You've got a picture of the scene. Jesus is bound. They drag him to Pilate's court, and they're accusing Jesus. They want Pilate to crucify him. Pilate's trying to, you know, he's trying to, listen, the Romans, there was corruption in Rome, but the Romans really prided themselves on justice and their jurisprudence system. Actually, a lot of things we do today come from those ancient civilizations. So you can see Pilate really trying to get to the bottom of what's going on, and Jesus won't answer for himself. So the first thing that we see is that Jesus is delivered to Pilate. Now, Mark's gospel says immediately, and we've talked about this, the, uh, the, the, the gospel writer Mark, John Mark, what he does is he uh, he goes quickly through the, the vignettes. You know, he's, he's appealing to a Roman audience. This happened, and that happened, and this happened. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you other scripture references to give you more body, to give you more volume and context. Now, Pontius Pilate, was, he governed Judea from A.D. 26 through A.D. 36. And as a matter of fact, for many years, many didn't believe that Pontius Pilate even existed. However, the Romans wrote about Pontius Pilate. In 1961, they found the Caesarea inscription, or what's known as the Pilate Stone, 1961. And it was this limestone, I have a picture of it, where it it spoke all about Pontius Pilate. So then you have your archaeological evidence along with historical writers, and I mean, how can you really deny that? It's irrefutable. And of course, now it's in the encyclopedia. But going back two Sundays ago, there was a time to speak for Jesus, and there was a time that he refused to speak. What, Pilate, what Jesus wanted Pilate to know was that he was the king of the Jews. Why? Because it had ramifications not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. Jesus spoke about twofolds, right, in another flock. So he didn't exclude the Gentiles. He wanted them to be a part of the flock. However, some charges were so ridiculous, and I'm going to go into them, that it it wasn't worth answering. It was a waste of the Lord's time. And I think that when we learn, and I haven't learned it yet, I still blunder. I still say things I would like to take back in defending myself. And I'm just being honest with you. I'm being transparent from the pulpit. But when we learn what Jesus did, when to speak and when not to speak, things would go very well for us. Just to give you a little humor here, a little levity. I have my own situation where something was so ridiculous that I actually didn't answer it. So anyway, my wife and I, about 15 years ago, she, she always just sits back and goes, what is he going to say? <laughs> you know, we've taken people in over the years. We took in a woman who was, had some, some issues and we're trying to help her financially and stuff. And uh, everything was good until she brought marijuana into the home. Now, I don't just mean a joint, okay? Now, I'm a police officer, okay? A little bit of a problem. <laughs> yeah. So at some point, we had to ask her to leave. But unfortunately, as it is in the church, as it is in the world, people can't take personal responsibility. We went to the same same church. What I found out over time was that she told people in the church, the church I came from, that I was a dirty, drug-dealing cop. (laughs) Gets good, doesn't it? That was really a test, uh, to say the least. And there were some that... 
you could tell if, when I would walk into church, they would look at me suspiciously. Christians, brothers and sisters, in the church, we can be so dumb sometimes. We listen to stuff and we just buy it on face value. And you know, unbelievers look at the church sometimes and they laugh. You know, we, we should have a better jurisprudence system than the one that's unfortunately characterized on us. But for some reason, I do remember back in those days that I really heavily craved Doritos. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pick out the ones who are laughing. No, just kidding. But, you know, we all have our situations where, listen, some things we respond to and some things are just so outlandish that over time it just kind of it blew away. But again, we, we, we have to model the Lord and how some things he answered, and we have to figure out what he's going to answer and what he refuses to answer. But Pilate was amazed. Why was Pilate amazed? This is the first time he's meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. He was amazed because Pilate was a harsh and brutal man. He had the power to crucify with a snap of his fingers, and those before him often cried, begged, and pleaded or defended themselves so he wouldn't send them to be crucified, but not Jesus. He appeared completely control of the situation, and he was. See, Jesus was an enigma to Pilate. He had never seen this before. He just was used to the cries and the screams and people coming down and trying to grab his feet. And I really believe that there's these incredible details in God's word for a reason. You know, you get this picture that's painted of Jesus. This is what he had to do. Why? Let's remind ourselves, because he loves us. That's why. He had to go through all this sham treatment. He's the son of God. You know, perfect, spotless, blameless, and they're just assailing him. But he goes through it because he needs to die for your sins and for mine. So let's keep that in mind. In Luke 23, which I'm not going to cover, the, the, the charges are expanded. The first thing is Jesus is accused of causing the people or forbidding them to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, if you remember the story, Jesus said, show me a... a, a you know, piece of money, is that Caesar's inscription? Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God. Of course, remember we talked about lying, how they twisted it. So, and here's the ironic thing. The religious leaders wanted a political Messiah. So they're accusing of something that he act, actually hoped that he would have done, but because he didn't do it, they're accusing him of it. Sounds twisted, doesn't it? The second thing he's accused of is exalting himself as a king. Yes, that's true, but not of a king of the earthly kingdom, not at this time. Okay, that comes later. And again, if he would have exerted himself as a king and started slaying Romans, they would have jumped right behind him. There's the hypocrisy of it. The third thing is he stirs up the people as an insurrectionist or a revolutionary. Yes, but in a spiritual sense. Now, the irony to that is we're going to see uh, next Sunday when Pilate says, hey, do you want me to release Jesus or Barabbas? They take Barabbas. He's the one who really was an insurrectionist. He was the one who really did commit murder and robbery. And they took him, the people's choice, over Jesus, who was God's choice. So Pilate was the fourth entity to try Jesus. Now let's, let's move to the fifth entity. I'm going to read Luke 23, 8 through 12. Luke 23, 8 through 12. Herod tries Christ. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, so Pilate sends Jesus bound to Herod, and I'll talk about Herod in a minute. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard 
heard the stories, many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by Jesus. Do a trick for us, Lord. Do a magic show. People do that today. Well, in order for me to believe in God, right now he has to do this thing, and in this time period, it's like, are you kidding me? Herod, and we're going to talk about that, by the way. Uh, verse 9, it says, Then he questioned him, Jesus, with many words, but he, Jesus answered nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Will somebody crucify this guy? Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for before that, they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate. This is the only gospel that gives us an insight, really, about, I'm sorry, uh, Herod. Herod Antipas. Now, if you look in your encyclopedia, Herod Antipas ruled Galilee and Perea. And you can see the Holy Land was kind of divided into segments. All the different Herod's progeny, Herod the Great, when he died, took different swaths of land. Uh, this happened, uh, Herod Antipas, from A.D. 6 to A.D. 39. Now, remember, both Herod and Pontius Pilate were both politicians. So where were they for the Feast of Jerusalem, the Passover? They were in Jerusalem, because that's what politicians do. And I'm trying to bring you back in the time. What do politicians do today? Governors, presidents, whatever. Council people, there's a, an ethnic uh, celebration, there's something going on. They want to show up at it. You know, they want to keep currying favor with the people and get revoted. So the two of them were in the same place at the same time. They didn't have to take Jesus far to get him to Herod Antipas, and then he gets sent back to Pontius Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate sends Jesus to Herod Antipas because it was a jurisdictional issue. In other words, Jesus did a lot of his miracles and his teachings and such in Galilee. So uh, Pilate thinks, wow, I'm off the hook. Herod's in town. Let me get past the buck, get rid of him. Jurisdictional issue. Herod goes, nah, I don't want to do anything about it. And he sends him back to Pilate. Here's the thing. Herod initially was thrilled to see Jesus, but he was gravely disappointed when Jesus didn't do any tricks for him. You see, the Lord was not going to cheapen himself or his mission. We have to be very careful. You know, we're supposed to evangelize. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to, you know, go out into the world and tell them about the good news of salvation that we've received. But we have to stop short of cheapening the Lord. What we have is valuable. You know, my salvation is valuable. I didn't do it myself. I want everybody to know it's free. And you can have it too. That's my job. That's why I'm up here. But we have to stop short of cheapening it. You know, even as a church, we don't offer toasters and calculators for new members. Or we don't do things to get more numbers in the church, to grow a, a big church. Because that's what everybody else is doing. We can't cheapen the message. You know, when we counsel somebody about the Lord... And I've heard the expression, it's a great expression, that if I'm doing more work than you are, and I'm trying to help you with your problem, you have to pick up your end of the bargain, right? So Jesus, as much as he wanted them all to be saved, he wasn't going to do it in that manner. He wasn't going to do tricks with, for them. Herod is annoyed with Jesus, and uh, his men of war mock Jesus, sends him back to Pontius Pilate for the, the yet sixth and last trial before Jesus is crucified. Here's the irony. This was a hot potato. Uh, nobody really wanted to deal with the Jesus situation. And I'm going to go a little bit into the history with uh, Pontius Pilate. But neither one of these men, whether Herod Antipas or Pontius Pilate, really, they didn't, neither one of them did the right thing. So you know what happened later on? 
they were both deposed. Herod Antipas met a really horrible death. Um, he was d discredited, I think, by his own nephew. And this is all secular history. Pontius Pilate was eventually deposed. The Roman government had enough of him because he started out as a very harsh and brutal man, and he actually incited riots. So neither one of these men finished their careers with honor. You see, there's a lesson in that too. When we try, and I, and I would just really appeal to somebody who's in some type of authority position, whether you're a business owner, um, a teacher, law enforcement, um, you know, military commander, whatever the case may be, even a church leader, when we don't do the right thing, what happens is we try to worm our way around the truth. We skirt our way around things because we want to avoid controversy. But these two guys were a perfect example of not doing the right thing. They end up getting deposed anyway. None of them could look back at their career and say, wow, that was a great career. I'm glad I'm retired. They can't do that because it didn't go well for them. So I just say for you and I, too, in our lives, do the right thing. And I'm saying that to me, too, because sometimes you don't get the rewards here. But you know what? The Lord will reward us for it. Somebody's got to do the right thing, right? I was, was it an undercover diner or something? It was some, I saw it for the first time where um, business owners, uh, they're, they're losing all this profit, so the company comes in with cameras and, and fake waiters and stuff, and they try to find out what's going on. And it was really neat to see in one of them, the, the bartender and the manager were really, they were stealing, they were give, you know, taking alcohol, giving their friends free stuff. And one guy, one sweet guy, was trying to fix everything that these two were screwing up. And at the end of the show, the guy says to the business owner, that's your next manager. Because even though they're all doing bad stuff and he could have profited from it, he did the right thing. And you know what? They made the guy a manager afterwards, after they fired the other two. Somebody's got to do the right thing. And it's not because there's a secret camera on us, but, but the Lord sees everything. And if we're Christians, we should want to do the right thing. It's very interesting. The, poor, the, the guys, the, the, the owner's watching. He's pulling his hair out. He's watching the thing unfold. He's like, I've got to stop this. So anyway, let's move on. <laughs> January, listen, you're not supposed to have fun in church, okay? Stop laughing. No, <laughs> I'm kidding, kidding. We don't do that here. In John 18, and, and I'm just about to close it because we had the year-end reports. I'm going to finish the rest next Sunday. In John 18, the religious leaders had a dilemma. They wanted to crucify him. And in, in the, if you read the Gospels all together, Pontius Pilate says, what do I have to do with religious matters? You deal with them. Again, I'm, I'm adding body to it because of the other Gospels. And basically, the religious leaders say, we, you know, we can't. We don't have the authority. How many of you know, and this is really deep, it goes back all the way to Genesis, how many of you really know why the religious leaders couldn't have Jesus crucified? Can you raise your hand, please? All right, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Turn with me to Genesis 49.10. One verse. The aged Jacob, or his name is changed to Israel, He's prophesying about his sons and their future. And one of them, who Jesus came from the line of, Judah, he says this in Genesis 49.10, the scepter. Now that was known as every kingdom's national sovereignty to institute capital punishment, to adjudicate cases, to, to be themselves. Even if they're conquered by another nation, they still had this scepter. Right? It was figurative. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, where Jesus was at the time, the southern kingdom, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, which was euphemistic for the Messiah, comes. 
and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now, some of this was fulfilled in the time of Jesus. Some of it came, will come later in, in our future. Something interesting happened in 30 A.D. Before 30 A.D., the Jews were taken over by everybody. You know, the Assyrians came in, the Babylonians came in after that, the Persians, the Greeks, and now here comes the Romans, yet another Gentile kingdom that's going to dominate them. However, for the most part, these, these nations would come in and say, listen, we're the new kid on the block. We've got the might. You submit to us. Okay. They say, okay. They say, okay. You are a vassal state of us. You give us tribute. We'll take taxes from you. But remember, we're in, we're, we're in charge. We're the boss. So you give us money, and you could do whatever you want. Capital punishment, local police, all that kind of jazz. In 30 AD, right, a few years before the crucifixion, the scepter was taken from the Jews by Rome. Now, this, this prophecy goes back thousands of years. Isn't that impressive? How the Bible prophesies it is fulfilled with such accuracy. So, in other words, the Jewish leaders are coming to Pilate and say, hey, you know what happened in 30 AD. The ability to kill somebody was taken away from us. So, you have to do it. And they're kind of going back and forth. Because in 30 AD, Genesis 49.10 was fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? Now, some of you are like, well, just write it down. I'll explain it to you later. But it is fantastic. I mean, the Bible is deep. As a matter of fact, in John 3, Jesus says this, the Son of Man must be lifted up, referring to his death. The Jews would stone, their way of capital punishment was to put you in a pit and throw rocks at you until they killed you. It's not, not fun. It's not, not like lethal injection today. But the Romans crucified, and they lifted a person up on the cross, and that was their death. The detail in this is absolutely stunning it's amazing but that's what's happening so in closing jesus he was persecuted by religion today we're finding out he was persecuted by the world and he was tried by the world and still it continues through his saints as i said in, in the opening you know especially the ones that are persecuted today in syria and iraq by isis if you are a christian one day you will spend eternity with those martyred Christians, we think it's such a world away. We will spend more time with them in eternity than you could ever imagine. So we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are under persecution. If we're truly born again and not churchgoers, not looking to be entertained by Western Christianity, this promise is for us too. I want to read John 15, 18 through 23. Jesus says this, one of those Bible promises. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, of the world system, you know, we're passing through, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, remember the world hates you. If we are in love with the world, something is wrong in our walk. If we are warmly welcomed by the world everywhere we go, then we might be compromising. Remember the word, continuing on, that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Oh, look, Jesus was crucified for our sins. That's very touching, but, but I'm good. No, no. He says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. For us, we probably won't be stoned or beheaded in the United States, but you know, there's, there'll be some type of persecution. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me, the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. 
He who hates me hates my Father also. Jesus also said in John 16.33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Trying to find peace outside of the Lord Jesus Christ is fleeting. It's temporary. Because when I read the reports of the martyrs out in the Middle East who have peace as they're going to their death, as they're being tortured to death, Fox's Book of Martyrs, that is an unusual peace. You don't get that here. Usually we have peace in this world if we're of the world because we're getting along in our marriage, our, our in-laws, are, you know, they're nice to us, we're making some money. That's peace. This is real peace. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding that you can't buy, that you can't earn. It only comes through being a believer in Christ. So he says, In the world you will have tribulation, promise, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. One needs to wonder when we look at this, who is really on trial? Because Jesus used the biggest travesty of justice, the sin against an innocent person, to save the world. Oh, the ironies. One day the world will end, and there will be a trial for the world. And that will be the great white throne judgment. And here's the ironic thing. We watch what happened with Jesus. If we trust in the sacrifice that he made on the cross, we don't go to that trial. We escape it. Jesus says we pass from death unto the life. However, if we refuse the sacrifice that the Lord made for us through his son Jesus Christ, we will face a trial for our sins. And I got news for you. I'm a pastor. I don't want to face anything for any of my sins because I understand what this book means. I understand that, that it's only through Christ that I get into the kingdom. I understand that if I didn't sin today, I would sin tomorrow. It's just inevitable because I'm still tied to this flesh. I would say this to you. Salvation is everything. Don't look at this trial and not understand the trial that we could go through if we're not covered under the blood of Jesus. And we all have to make that decision. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.